0: From the authors of Author Masterminds, this is Mysterious. Mystery surrounds us every day. Join us and listen to true stories of mystery from human behavior to nature and the physical environment to paranormal experiences. The stories are true, even if we can't explain them. Today's mysterious episode takes place on the shore of Lake Superior in the early 20th century. Even though this mystery happened more than 100 years ago, people still have varied opinions about what happened. After the body of Edward Morrison was found in the bottom of the U.S. Lighthouse boat, stories began to flourish about what had happened and who was responsible even before the facts were established. Hello, I'm author mastermind Valerie Winans, a writer for readers of all ages. On June 12th, 1908, A boat floating near the southern shore of Lake Superior aroused the curiosity of a couple of local hunters. They could see the broken mast of the yawl and the sail draped over the gunwale. They didn't see anyone in the boat, so they waited out to see what was happening. The men looked in the boat to find a body face down in the water. Shocked, And surprised with their discovery, they didn't waste any time reporting what they had found to authorities. Captain Benjamin Trudell of the Grand Marais Life Station came out to investigate. His first look at the boat revealed to him that it belonged to the U.S. Lighthouse Service, and Captain Trudell also knew that it was one belonging to the Old North Lighthouse on Grand Island. Further inspection of the contents of the boat established that the dead man wore the uniform of someone in the United States Lighthouse Service. Trudell knew the keeper at Old North Lighthouse, but when he lifted the man's head and looked at his face, he knew it was not George Jenry. They guessed that the body was of the assistant lighthouse keeper at Old North Lighthouse Edward Morrison. The coroner of Grand Marais, where the body was found, impaneled a jury, and they determined the man died of exposure and from injuries unknown to all here. Edward Morrison was from Flint, Michigan, and had only worked for George Jenry one month before his untimely death and discovery of his body in a lighthouse yawl 20 miles from his workstation. Timothy D. was the keeper of the other lighthouse on Grand Island, referred to as the South Light. D. reported that on June 13th, he heard from a local fisherman that the North Light was dark. The deputy sheriff of Alger County, along with some others, hiked up to the North Light And found no one there. Arriving at the north light, Timothy D. discovered that no one had operated the light in several days. He reported, Indicators show that the assistant keeper was in the workshop and on seeing Mr. Jenry coming, took a wheelbarrow and went to the boathouse. Neither one of them returned to the light. The groceries Mr. Jenry brought from town on June 6th and the coat he wore that day were found in the boathouse. What killed Edward Morrison and where was George Jenry? All of this was fodder for newspapers and the local gossip mill. The story went statewide with as many scenarios as creative writing journalists could conjure. Maybe the two lighthouse keepers were robbed and killed. Janry couldn't be found. Did he kill Morrison in a rage and then run to avoid the law? Janry's wife didn't seem concerned that he was missing. Did she know more than she was telling? A second autopsy was performed on Morrison, but the results of the second autopsy were also disputed. People wanted to believe there had been a murder, but the second verdict was also death from exposure. Newspapers in Detroit, Flint, and even New York were running stories sensationalizing the mystery on the south shore of Lake Superior. Fueling the fire was an article in the Flint newspapers in which Lena Morrison wife of the dead edward morrison said she had received a letter from her husband saying he feared george Jenry. many then concluded that Jenry must have killed edward morrison and escaped to some unknown location but then on july 17th a body was found on beaver beach on lake superior the coroner stated that the body had been on the beach for four or five days It was decomposed, but was identified as George Jenry by clothing and certain papers found on the body. Mrs. Jenry identified the body and George Jenry was buried the next day due to the degree of decomposition. Shortly after the discovery and burial of the body, Mrs. Jenry collected a life insurance policy on her husband, which was more than three times his annual salary. I want to take a short break here and let you know a little bit about me. I'm a writer of historical fiction and historical nonfiction. I love history and the ability to share what I know with others. I've lived in Michigan all of my life and in the northern tip of the mint for more than 40 years. There's a rich history here with facts and mysteries and I'm looking forward to sharing more mysteries with you. If you go to medium.com/slash valerie winans or to readersandwritersbookclub.com, you will find a companion story to this Grand Island riddle. My books can be found at authormasterminds.com or go to my website valeriewinans.com. Now back to our story. Grand Island is in a bay of Lake Superior near Munising, Michigan, and is located between Sault Ste. Marie on the east and Marquette on the west. The stretch of Lake Superior from Whitefish Point near the Sioux to Marquette can be difficult for mariners. The old Grand Island Lighthouse is on the north edge of Grand Island on a tall cliff, The old Grand Island Lighthouse no longer operates as a lighthouse, but there is currently a battery-operated light not far from the house. The death of the old Grand Lighthouse keepers was a mystery, no matter what the coroner's jury ruled. The answers to questions depended on perspective. George Jenry was half Chippewa, and the Native community had an idea about what had happened. Years of resentment due to the treatment Native Americans received from the government, landowners, corporate leaders, and other people who felt superior influenced how they perceived what had happened. Interpretation was embedded in the history of Grand Island in the first decade of the last century. In 1900, the Cleveland Cliffs Iron Company purchased Grand Island, all of it except for two pieces of land that belonged to the U.S. government for lighthouses, Old North Light at the north end of the island, and East Channel Light, often called South Light, at the south end of the island. The Iron Company was not interested in mining on the island, there was no iron ore, but in converting it into a game preserve that could also serve as a playground for the company's top executives, especially its president, William Mather. George Genry and his friends, Jimmy Kishkataug and Timothy D. continued to hunt game on the island just as the Chippewa had done for many centuries. This angered William Mather. Mather had a vision of the whole island as a game preserve. The natives were a constant thorn in the side of the Cleveland Cliffs people, as they were sure the natives were poaching on their land. Mather had imported game animals from around the world and wanted to protect them. <clears throat> the Cliffs men were so sure Jenry was poaching that they would break into the lighthouse when he wasn't there, attempting to find poach game. They even fenced off the area owned by Cleveland Cliffs. The fence failed to achieve its purpose. It had gates in it for the passage of the lighthouse personnel down to the beach. And the keepers frequently left the gates open so the game could approach the lighthouse. It was reported Mather had said, get Jenry, but don't tell me how you did it. George Jenry's children offer a likely scenario. Jenry went to town with a lighthouse boat and when Edward Morrison saw him returning with supplies, he met him at the boathouse with a wheelbarrow to move supplies to the lighthouse. The two men hung their coats in the boathouse and started unloading supplies. Cleveland Cliff's men arrived at the boathouse and an argument occurred, resulting in the death of both Edward Morrison, and George Jenry. They pushed Morrison off in one of the lighthouse boats and kept Jenry's body somewhere before the same men that killed him said they found his body on Beaver Beach. Cleveland Cliffs had such power and influence in the area, the family of George Jenry didn't dare accuse them for fear of retaliation. Another theory of what happened to the two men is that of the wife of Edward Morrison. She was sure that George Jenry had killed her husband because she received a letter from Edward, which she got after his death, saying he was afraid of George Jenry. She believed the body found on Beaver Beach was not that of George Jenry. Mrs. Morrison believed Jenry had murdered Morrison and then ran off possibly to Canada. Mrs. Morrison was not alone in this theory of what had happened. Many locals did not like George Jenry and were ready to believe the worst about him. Due to prejudice and fueled by newspaper stories, locals supported the story that George Jenry, the town drunk who was a brawler and difficult-to-work-for lighthouse keeper, had murdered Morrison and then ran from authorities. Some local people said they saw George Jenry in town at some local saloons after the disappearance of Edward Morrison. If true, it supports the story that Jenry was involved in the murder of Morrison. It is true that Jenry had an explosive temper and was difficult to work for as he went through 12 assistants in the 15 years he was the lighthouse keeper. He would leave his assistants with all the responsibilities of keeping the light going all night long, and then doing the upkeep of the light and house during the day while he was drinking and Munising. As if there were not enough stories about what had happened to the two men, there were accounts printed in newspapers in Michigan and nearby states. Some of them gave false details in an effort to buoy up outrageous stories of murder and intrigue. The available evidence does not support any theories spread by newspapers or local people with preconceived notions based on their bias. The idea that Cleveland Cliffs men killed both keepers and disposed of their bodies doesn't make sense. There would be too many people involved to be able to keep it a secret. Additionally, there's no evidence that either man was murdered. Rulings from three coroner investigations, two separate ones on Morrison and one on Jenry, determined the men had died of exposure. The story that Jenry killed Morrison and escaped to Canada cannot be supported because people identified the body of George Jenry, found a month after the discovery of Edward Morrison's body. The inconvenient evidence of George Jenry's body discovered on Beaver Beach cannot be easily discounted. Years after the event, people in Munising still maintain their own ideas of what occurred. It doesn't matter where the facts go, it's where the bias takes the mind, convincing people of a story they want to believe. I can think of more current events in our history where facts did not matter and people still are convinced something happened that did not. I can only support the evidence presented here, that the death of these men was accidental. The men were not murdered. They died of exposure. They had placed some fishing nets offshore and were likely in the boat pulling nets when there was an accident, killing both of them. But you can believe whatever you want. If you enjoyed this story, you will find a companion story at medium.com and at Readers and Writers Book Club in the content offerings under the name Grand Island Murders. Check out the show notes for the link to the book club and to the Author Masterminds website. You will also find links to my books and website. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. We will be back soon with the next episode of Mysterious.